Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. I'm a composer, conductor, and music educator. On this podcast, I talk with other composers and discover how they began their journey into composition. Join me each week as we explore their lives, their musical journeys, and of course, their music. To learn more about this podcast and access a complete archive of episodes, including the series of shorter segments called Movable Snippets, visit my website at sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Brett Simmons. In addition to his composing and songwriting skills, Brett works as an arranger, producer, musical director, and vocal coach. He has composed and arranged music for a wide variety of television, including The Oprah Winfrey Show, Live with Regis and Kelly, Jackie, Charles in Charge, Fame, The Megan Mullally Show, Mullally? Mullally. Mullally. I didn't even know how to say that. (laughs) And Car Crazy. He is the composer of musicals, including Falling for Eve with co-writers David Hauer and Joe P- DePietro, which enjoyed a successful off-Broadway run, Lucky Star, which premiered at Phoenix Theater in 20, uh, 2008, and Changing Minds, which is licensed by Theatrical Rights Worldwide. He has also written many songs that have been featured in live stage shows and special events for numerous clients, ranging from the Walt Disney Company to v to the Olympics. Brett Simmons, welcome to Movable Dough. Thank you. So I, <laughs> I have people ask me all the time how I decide who I'm going to interview. Sometimes it's people who introduce me to someone else, but often my guests are people that I've known or contacted even before I started podcasting. And such is the case with you, Brett. You and I met in 2011, I think we decided, uh, before yes. that we started here. So you and David Howard were working on the show Changing Minds, and you brought it to the high school I w- where I was working in Germantown, Tennessee, for us to premiere. So that was an intense process. So let's actually start with Changing Minds today. Tell us a little bit about the show and sort of what style you were going for as you wrote the music. Well, it's a story of two teenagers that change bodies because they, I don't know, you know, some spell and then they change bodies. So it's really funny. Um, I wanted it to be pop, as pop as I was capable of doing, you know, (laughs) Um, yeah, so we were looking for, I wanted it to feel like there were, you know, like it were songs that could at the time have, have been by, you know, popular, uh, pop artists. Sure. On, you know. And so you were looking for more, more of an electronic sound and. Oh, absolutely. Super. Yeah. Yeah. Not no live horns or anything like that, you know, guitars and keyboards and, and. And you were one of the keyboard players too. I right? was. I got to play keyboard and conduct. And that was conduct. a lot of fun. <laughs> really hard sometimes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's go a little bit further back. Uh, so, where did you actually grow up? I grew up primarily in Boise, Idaho. Right down the road from me now. Exactly. Right down the road from you now. I mean, that's where. Uh, yeah, I spent most of my childhood there. So yeah. were you always into music when you were growing up? Oh, I was. And I had some really fantastic teachers. My band teacher, Jim Perkins, was my idol. I thought he walked on water, and I loved him to death. And uh, I had two really fantastic piano teachers as well. Actually, three, if you count my very, very first one. So, I mean, some world-class teachers. They were really great. So um, I consider myself lucky that I was there and my parents also, you know, made a lot of that stuff possible too. Can you remember any lessons from those early teachers, something that you still remember and use today? Mm-hmm. 
um, when I got my first like legit, legit, well, they were all legit. That's not fair to say. When I, when I, I started studying with a piano teacher named Adelaide Marshall, who was a, was a big deal and had had a very great career and was one of those teachers that you don't just, she has to accept you and that kind of thing. And I was maybe in the eighth or ninth grade and my mother wanted me to study with her because she was the real deal and would push me. And um, <clears throat> I wasn't practicing. So after two or three lessons, she said, you know, you're wasting your time and your parents' money and my time. So you either need to decide that you want to do this or not. So you need to you need to start practicing and really take this seriously. So um, I did. <laughs> well, good for her. She threatened to fire you. Yeah, she did threaten to fire me. <laughs> Um, I think she was always disappointed I didn't become a concert pianist, but that was not really what I wanted to do. So, <laughs> so what, were you, what were you playing in the band? In the band, I was in the drum section, which is oh. weird. I suppose that's helpful because I learned how to bust a groove. But uh, yeah, I wish now, although, although I should say I'm happy that I was a drummer for a long time because especially with pop music, I think that's really helpful to to, to have a sense of, of that. Mm -hmm. But I wished I played a string instrument. I wish I played a, a, a reed or a, or a brass instrument just because that would have been cool. Yeah. But I don't did it and I'm lazy. So there you go. <laughs> what sort of music were you listening to that was influencing you when you were a teenager? Um, that's tricky. I was not into like what was really popular in pop music mm -hmm. so i would say it probably was musical theater oh, okay and film school musical theater and film scores mm -hmm. and were you already starting to write that sort of music when you were in high school or did that come later uh, uh, yeah ish in a way i would say i didn't write a lot but i wrote some and they were all kind of you know those kind of things that that's just naturally where my heart gravitated to so yeah and when did you decide you wanted to actually pursue this as a career? I think I pretty much knew I wanted to do it even when I was like starting college. Yeah. Um, I went to Brigham Young University for a minute and then I went on a, a, a mission for a couple of years where I ironically played classical piano concerts. <laughs> um. But then I came back and, and, and I was at Boise State University for a minute. Um, but then I, I went back to, to Brigham Young and at the time they didn't have, they have a really great kind of contemporary music recording program thing now. Mm -hmm. I would have eaten that up with a spoon, but all they had was more of the traditional pedagogy and, and piano performance and that kind of right. stuff. I stuck with it, but that's not really, I, I always wanted, and then I started kind of getting into pop music, you know, but it was always more like soft pop rock, like Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond and that kind of thing. And so, you know, I wrote a million of those kind of songs in college. <laughs> were you taking any composition classes while you were there? I took a couple, I took a couple, but they didn't have a lot of them. So uh, yeah, I took a couple, but that didn't last very long. <laughs> So you have worked on numerous television shows and projects. 
So what sort of work do you do for those sort of shows? For example, uh, live with Regis and Kelly, what sort of music do you... Honestly, you this like was that? music. This, it sounds more impressive than it is. I'm not going to lie. These are things that like maybe I wrote for a project at Disneyland and then they're filming an episode of of Regis and Kelly at Disneyland and they use my song for uh -huh. interstitials and things like that. So it sounds way fancier than it really was. The only TV show that I really was really involved in it was the Megan Mullally show, which was a talk show. Um, Megan's a fantastic actor and singer and hilarious human being. And, and, and I, uh, I was her music director slash band leader. And so, yeah. I wanted to ask about that. Cause that, that's a position that I find extremely fascinating. This, you, it seems like you've got to be ready to play anything at any time. So how do you prepare you do some, you this. do some, I'll tell you at the early stages of that show and the show did not last super long. Um, they didn't want us just pulling a common known melody or song out of the, out of our hats because then they'd have to pay royalties on it right. and they didn't want to do that. So I wound up composing all of the bumpers and the tags and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but you still had to kind of be on your toes and, um, I had done a lot of stuff like that at Disneyland for years and years and years. So I was, I was, I was kind of ready for, for the job. So when you get together for rehearsal, you're like, okay, let's practice commercial break or, or how do you, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, I had, there was a five piece band and I would always do charts and, and either there were new charts or we had a book full of them and we'd just go, okay, it's going to, and they'd give you a rundown at the beginning of the day. They'd take two shows in one day. Okay. So we'd have rehearsal couple of hours before the first taping and we knew what the rundown was and we'd get everything all organized and kind of run through everything and, and make sure it was working and then you do the same thing over again in the afternoon do they make you change clothes between so it looks like it's a different day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah it's a whole different episode and i remember one time uh it was early on so we weren't quite sure of the protocol we thought they were done taping <laughs> and so i told the guys they could go oh, no. <laughs> we're all up chain and somebody's screaming, so uh, <laughs> rushed back down. That's great. <laughs> no one had actually left. <laughs> so let's let's return to your love for musical theater. So you have collaborated on several theatrical productions. So I don't know if you remember, but in 2013, I was actually writing a musical for my family reunion. I reached out to you asking for pointers about how to actually write a musical because I'd never done oh, it before. Oh, it's so hard, but go ahead. Yeah, so when you're starting a new musical project, how does the process begin? Are you involved in the story creation or are you brought in after the story's written? I what? am with David Howard quite a bit. Well, actually, he, and he's primarily who I write musicals with. We're working mm -hmm. on probably, I think, our ninth musical. That's it awesome. sounds fancy. It's not. Um, <clears throat> it's just torturous, but anyway. <laughs> um the first project with David and that show ultimately made it to off Broadway. He had a, he'd written a play and, and we musicalized the play. Uh, it went through many incarnations and then we, and then Joe DiPietro came on board and completely turned it inside out and we had to rewrite most of it and whatever. So that's, it, it's that now changing minds, for example, we just, we were, we were, uh, we were working with a guy named Steve Spiegel who owns and runs a company named Theatrical Rights Worldwide. 
you might have met Steve because I yeah. think he came, yeah, he to, came down to Germantown. Yeah, Germantown. Absolutely. Great guy. And his company's doing really, really well. Anyway, uh, he he was looking for something that he could really license to high schools because there's that's a really lucrative thing. And so we kind of knew he wanted something kind of teen oriented. And of course, I and I love the movie Freaky Friday. So David and I, we kind of came up with that whole thing just from the ground up. That's an original story and and, and whatever. Um, one of the late uh, a project that we so there's that. Uh, and I'm I'm pretty involved with the story, too, even though I do mostly music. But um, but uh, then, for example, we. Uh, a few years ago, decided to adapt um, Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest uh, into a musical, which has been done before. We're not the first to do that, but it's public domain. And it's such a fantastic play, funny and sweet. And anyway, so we we adapted that. And then we, during the pandemic, when we were bored, we adapted Noel Coward's um, Hay Fever, which we're going to do a, a, a production of in Torrance, where you used to live when you were a kid, uh, in the spring. So that's kind of that and that. And, and right now we're working on a show uh, with our good friend Michael Bernard at Phoenix Theater and, um, we're, and Jonathan Rosenberg, and we're writing... Um, we are adapting a... And this was... this all. Michael approached us, so we didn't have this brainchild, but... Yeah, it, there's a Damon Runyon story called Madame Le Gimp, which kind of was the basis for the movie uh, Pocket Full of Miracles. Anyway, okay. we're, we're making that a, a musical. So oh, it wow. kind of comes from anywhere. And that's the hardest thing. Does the is the source material work, you know? Right. Well, we I'm actually going to come back to that uh, a little bit later in our program today. Okay. Okay. So what is one of the hardest things about being a composer? Um, well, there's two things. There's many more than two things. <laughs> there's a lot of things. The blank page, <laughs> that's always like daunting. Yeah. And then sometimes you just dig into it and just one foot in front of the other. You, if you think of the whole thing, it's just daunting. Okay. So there's that. There's also the thick skin you have to have if you're going to try and get your stuff produced. It's just a brutal business. Uh, well, on the so flip side, the disappointment is is <laughs> rampant. Okay, and I'd like to say I'm good at it, but I'm not. <laughs> I I get it. For sure. Yeah, you, yeah, you're a composer, you know. Yeah. Well, on the flip side, what's one of the most rewarding parts of being a composer? Okay, well, for musical theater, anyway. When you get it and you and you can tell it's clicking and it works and it fits and it's exciting and it's fun. That's really fun. And uh, so that's really great. Also something I told you about this uh, importance of being earnest, a wild new musical. Get it? Oscar yeah. Wilde with an E. I, I approve um, of that message. <laughs> thank you. We just did a production of it in at Whittier Theater. And uh, I did orchestrations for a five-piece band which was really fun and i'm not really that good of an orchestrator but it was small enough that i i thought i could tackle that and um <clears throat> it was just such a joyous process the whole thing 
um, that the cast was great and really into it. And the people were wonderful at the theater and the band was loving it. And these are some good guys. These are all pros that I managed to snag in the pit because I work with them at Disneyland. Um, uh, so it was just, it was joyous. It was so great. So that's kind of the rewards of it all. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. So I've got one more question for you before we take a break. When you're not composing... What do you like to do for fun? What sort of uh, hobbies do you have? I'm such a boring human. <laughs> I watch way too much TV. I like to read. I do like to work out and spend time with my kids. And um, and I like working out in my yard sometimes, but <laughs> that joy is getting less and less <laughs> lazy, as I mentioned. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll listen to some of Brett's compositions. Welcome back. This is Steve Danielson. I'm talking today with Brett Simmons. So we're going to go first to This is History from The First Gentleman. I thought this sounded like a fun premise of a show, the family of the first female president of the United States. So tell us more about working on this show and about this song in particular. Oh, I love this show. And it had a lot of issues. Uh, it's the story really about, I mean, it's the whole family. It's a fish out of water, okay? Catherine Cassidy is a mayor, excuse me, the governor of West Virginia, and she becomes the president of the United uh -huh. States. And her husband, Russ, is just a normal Joe. He runs a very successful construction company. He's not into politics at all. <laughs> that kind of thing. And then they have a, like a, 14-year-old kid, 15-year-old son. And neither of those two really want to move to Washington, D.C. And so it's the story of basically of this dad and how he he eventually figures it out and makes things work. But it's a comedy and it's really fun. And we've done 5,000 readings of it, three of them in New York. And then, well, there was a an election in 2016, I should say. And the outcome of that election made everything that involved the White House a very toxic property. So we uh, haven't really done a lot with this since then. Uh -huh. um, although we have a really good draft that we finally put together that we like. Because we've done so many readings and workshops and, and um, new works festivals and had some terrific people help us throughout the years on it. But anyway so it may or may never take off that's that's the hard thing there you go i, I yeah. found out something really hard when you just have to finally move on <laughs> well what is this song like how does the song fit in this, this is this originally was the opening number but we have a better opening number now okay because it's him talking about how he oh i got this i can do this i sure and then when he, she gets elected he freaks out uh but this song is called this is history and it's basically the thrilling thrilling thing that we elected a first female president of the united states and everyone's um reactions to it and her speech and and their thoughts in the middle of it the son and the dad and and all that anyway it's pretty exciting and fun very cool all right, well, we are going to listen to This is History from The First Gentleman. I knew it, I knew that we could do it. 
knew it all along Although the poles began to tighten I knew we'd finish strong The people have spoken We're on the threshold A brand new chapter's about to unfold We're turning the page That's long overdue We've opened the door Now we're stepping through This is history I've never seen the nation shining so bright This is history Oh, think Lady Liberty just turned up her light Oh yeah, we got it right This is history We're at the focus of the nation It's so electrified There's an intense anticipation They're also filled with pride Just look at the crowd here, check up
All right, our second piece today, Season of Light, from a show at Disneyland, also called Season of Light. Yes. So, first of all, how cool is it that you get to write music for Disneyland? I think it's cool. I don't know about you, but... <laughs> um, it is. I um, I don't do it as much as I used to, but I've been there on and off as a, either a musician or a, or a music director um, for, gosh, 35 years. Yeah. Not always full-time by any means. I haven't been full-time there in many years, but I still work there. Uh, I am... And I love it there and I love the people and, but yeah. And I, and I will also say that my musical mentor uh, was there, Bruce Healy, who was the head of the music department for many years. And he's a genius and I adore him. And I, I, I truly call him my mentor. He's taught me more than he could ever understand. So, so it was beautiful that I had somebody like that to learn from at a pretty early phase in my career because it's the gamut you know what I mean it's 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 writing it's music directing it's uh, orchestrating it's producing it's working with a team it's all that kind of stuff Uh, on a lot of styles you have to be very adept at a lot of styles you know so yeah so I was going to ask how is how is writing for something at Disneyland compared to writing for television or writing for musical theater you have a little more time than TV. TV is lightning speed. You have you don't get a lot of time, so you have to just get it done. Disneyland spends money and time to get things right. Uh, musical theater is different because you're not making a dime when you're writing musical right. theater. <laughs> it's just for the love, which is okay, you know. Um, uh, Disneyland, you know, there's enough eyes on what you're doing that you 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 know of course you want to do a good job and and they'll spend money where they need to spend it awesome so what is seasons of light about it's a it's a holiday piece right yes and it actually i wrote it like 20 years ago with carolyn gardner wonderful friend and lyricist who works there uh it was originally for a new show in the lagoon at california adventure called luminaria and uh it the, the, that show didn't last very long because they were kind of new at figuring out firework shows in that space. It was too smoky. Uh, anyway, now they call it uh, world. Uh, what is it? World of color? No. Uh, it's uh, yeah, I think it is. Anyway, the big show there at the lagoon. Anyway, so they resurrected it. Uh, this song a couple of years ago when they were doing a new Christmas version of the of the show. Gotcha. And, it's crazy that you say you wrote this 20 years ago. I still think of California Adventure as something that's new. Well, it is in the history. I didn't, it was 2001. 2001 is when California Adventure opened. Oh, and I was in, I was salaried at the time in the music department. So that's why I remember the date. Oh. And all of the millions of press events and dog and pony shows that led up to that. Okay. Well, we are going to listen to Season of Light. There's a place within your heart A place you don't outgrow A shining world of love and joy Pure as the snow Look around and you will see 
Third piece today, Bunburying, from The Importance of Being Earnest, a wild new musical. Yes. This is a fun adaptation of Oscar Wilde's farcical play. Uh, It's a fun song, too, and with a lot of sort of fun rhymes and Mm -hmm. things in it. So do you get involved in writing lyrics for these pieces as well? I don't write a lot of lyrics, but I'm pretty good at figuring out what makes a lyric tick. And David Howard is a fantastic, brilliant lyric writer. And um, so a lot of times, even though I I don't really write the lyrics, I'll do really bad versions of what I think something should be. Does that make sense? <laughs> Not purposely, but that's, you know, what I'm capable of. And then I give it to him and he makes it sound amazing. Um, so uh, I wouldn't say I write the lyrics, but we certainly uh, work with each other. To, uh, and that's the, the beauty of collaborating. It's really yeah. fun. Really so you were talking earlier in the show about adapting stories into musicals. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, what do you see in this story that makes it particularly adaptable? Oh my gosh, this play was born to be a musical. It's perfect musical theater fodder. It's absurd, okay? It's romantic. We end up with three couples at the end. Um, it's funny. It, there's a sweet part in it. People don't ever, sometimes realize he finds out who he really is at the end of the show, which is a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? He gets an identity and he finds out this guy that they've, he's been buddies with all these years is actually his brother. So the, the payoff is just fantastic. And um, it's just, a, it, it's just a, so fun. It's probably my favorite show I've ever read. 
That's awesome. And Bunburying is the song. If if any if you're familiar with the play, um, Bunbury is the man that that um, Al that Algie has invented. That he pretends it's his invalid friend, and so to get out of any social thing that he doesn't want to get into, he claims he has to go and take care of his friend. And and um, Jack does basically the same thing, only tells everybody he's earnest and has to go to the. It, it's complicated, but they may. And so this is the song about about you know fooling people with their imaginary friends right sure so are there any upcoming productions of this or are you what is, what's the no the we show? just like i say we just finished one in in whittier and we're we're talking to a couple of theaters right now but oh. wow it's it, it's that like they're and we're back to what's hard about musical theater you yeah. know um, well so. i hope it works out because i'd love to see thank this you show. i wish i could say we had something in the books but not quite so. Okay, well, we're going to get a taste of it. We're going to listen to Bunburying from The Importance of Being Earnest. Let's all raise a glass to Mr. Bunbury. A finer man has never walked the earth, though the fellow is a work of fiction. It's hard to underestimate his worth. True, he's not much fun in conversation. The reason being, he really isn't there. But oh, the devilish anticipation. When one saunters out the door past the accusatory glares and goes, Bunburying, Bunburying, forget your cares. Live with the flare. Do what you dare. Bunburying, Bunburying, the world awaits. Don't let convention make you hesitate. You mean to say you've been playing the same game that I have all these years? You invented Ernest to come up to town when you like, and I invented Bunbury. Let's all raise a glass to Mr. Bunbury. A brilliant list of grave infirmities. In spite of his imaginary suffering, he clings to life with certain expertise. Bunbury, Bunbury, nobody knows what you some saucy rose Bunburying, Bunburying Rules don't apply So many vices yet to give a try If I'm off to the music hall Dear Bunbury, he takes a pull If I need to go out riding Then he needs a close abiding And when Phyllis needs to take a trip The good man comes down with the grip And if I care to play some whist He teeters, stumbles, breaks his wrist I need to meet Colette for tea Then he succumbs to pleurisy If Eunice longs to hug and kiss He gets a bad case of Versailles One day he may pass away Until that happens, who can say? We'll ask our loved ones all to pray and do Finesse, the sordid truth no one will ever guess. All right, our last piece today, Never Give Up, Never Surrender. Ooh. This is from an undisclosed project. You told me you couldn't tell me what it was from. Uh, so you can't mention the name for legal reasons. But based on my knowledge of the quote, Never Give Up, Never Surrender, 
I would assume this is either based on Prime Minister Winston Churchill in World War II or Commander Quincy Taggart and the movie Galaxy Quest, which is basically the same thing. It is, in a way. I mean, we joke, but it really kind of is, right? Yeah. So what are you allowed to tell us about this? The setting is different. This, uh, you were right on the second one. Um, David, my writing partner, wrote the film. Um, so uh, there's a perfect, uh, how did, and he never ever in a million years thought we could musicalize it, but uh, uh, TRW is working with us on it to try and, and get it going. The, the issues right now are getting a deal in place with Paramount. David owns the, what they call the separated rights, but Paramount owns the title and a few uh -huh. other. You can't just go uh, rogue and and start doing stuff till you get a deal. But yeah. we have demos and we've done, you know, some things to oh. to work on it. <clears throat> but it's really exciting. But also, we'll see if it happens. So, is this sort of like the the main character's big song? Never give this up. Never surrender. No, this is the Thermians. This is okay. the the aliens when they. Oh, gotcha. He goes on the ship, and um, he thinks he's just in some weird party, some fake set or something. And they explain to him what he means to them, okay, and the courage that he has given them. And so, uh, and so, this song is them convincing him that they're legit and getting him on board with their enthusiasm for being brave and being courageous and never giving up. So there. so these are Thermians that are singing, mostly. All right. Well, without saying any names of anything, this is Never Give Up, Never Surrender. When there's a need for truth, then we inquire. When courage seems to fail, then we inspire. And when the weak are preyed upon, who stands is their defender. We never, never give up, never surrender. Someone dares to break the law Who captures the offender We never, never give up Never surrender Your words, they still give me chills, come on Never give up, never surrender When there's no road ahead in the darkness Never give up, never surrender When there's nothing left beyond being
Well, Brett, what are you working on now that you can tell us about? Well, I mentioned it a little earlier. I'm working on this uh, this uh, uh, musical based on the on Damon Runyon's story, uh, uh, Madame Le Gimp, and we're right in the middle of that. And okay. So I'm I'm trying to keep myself motivated to keep plowing ahead. Is there a deadline that you're working towards? <laughs> well, it would be better if there was. We we have a first act that is pretty good. That, and now I got to dig into the second act. We're hoping to do a reading within like the next six months in Phoenix. And that'll okay. kind of get the ball rolling, right? Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now. If my listeners want to learn more about you and about your music, where is the best place to find you online? Oh my gosh, I'm such a loser. I used to have, <laughs> I used to have a website and it went away, thankfully, because it was really bad. I think I told you a bad website's better than no website. I'm bad, bad, bad. A bad website is worse than no website. Um, let's see, how could somebody get a hold of me? Well, they can email me. <laughs> Yeah, I was able to find you through Theatrical Worldwide. Okay, you yeah. could probably get me through that. Yeah. yeah, and that resume is old too. So yeah, but thank you anyway for looking at me. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, listeners out there, we are coming up on episode 100 of Movable Dough on Ooh, Tuesday. I'm, what's that? Am I 99 or 100? Uh, you are 98. Oh, 98. 98. Okay, really close. Good. Impressive, Steve. Impressive. On Tuesday, January 16th, we are celebrating 100 episodes with a bigger, bolder, and jam-packed episode that'll knock your socks off. We'll have guest appearances, we'll revisit some favorite moments, we'll reveal which episode is number one according to the listeners. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to Movable Dough and then mark your calendars, Movable Doers, because episode 100 drops Tuesday, January 16th. Don't just listen, keep the music moving. Well, Brett, it has been a lot of fun to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me on Movable Dough. You're welcome. Thanks, Steve. My guest today was composer Brett Simmons. If you have a recommendation for a future guest or an idea for the show, please email me at movabledoe at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. Sorry.